Welcome. Thank you for being here today. We're going to continue our series in the book of Proverbs. And so if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, there may be a few extra paper copies uh, on the table to your right, and you feel free to to take one of those. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to have uh, a paper Bible. You can keep one of those. Those are our gift to you if you need one, and uh, would love for you to, to have one of those. We are looking at the different characters that are in the book of Proverbs, and I'm going to take the time throughout the summer just to highlight different characters. We've already talked about the jealous or the envious person. We've talked about father who speaks intently to the son, trying to get him to listen. We heard about the fear of the Lord last week from John, and we've looked at Proverbs chapter 3 and finding direction for your life. But this morning, we're going to talk about the fool. All right, the fool in Scripture. I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up in a family that, um, well, let's just say uh, our language was colorful. There was a lot of colorful language used in my house. Language that if I went to somebody else's house, I would oftentimes hear, we don't say that word at our house. Uh, and as a young child, I, I learned where I could use colorful language and where I couldn't use colorful language. But even as loose as we were with our language in my home, there was some words that would immediately, you would have something thrown at you or somebody would, there was just some words that were not tolerated at all. The Bible describes a word that is like that. It's just a word that you should never use, and it's the word fool. Uh, Fool is kind of the F word of the Bible. Uh, Jesus said, anyone who is angry with his brother Uh, will be subject to judgment, but whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. But whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. The Bible describes the fool as one of the worst human characteristics that there is. To be a fool in Scripture is to be almost the worst thing there is. David prays in Psalm in Psalm 39.8, he says, Deliver me from all my transgressions. Whatever you do, don't make me like a fool. Humiliation and shame and disgrace, it's all reserved for the fool. In Proverbs 3, it says, The wise will inherit honor, but fools get only disgrace. A fool is the worst thing that you can be, according to the Bible. And we're going to, by the time you're done here, you will have a full caricature of what a fool looks like in Scripture. You'll be able to say, this is what a fool is. You'll know what he is. You'll know why he's such a terrible thing and why you should actually distance yourself from a fool if you find yourself in a relationship with one. You will also be able to distinguish the difference between being a fool and making foolish decisions. You will know how to love a fool well. And finally, you're going to see that there's great, great hope for a fool. All right, we're going to cover those things in the next two hours. Yes, it won't be that long. Uh, Fools basically make terrible lifestyle decisions repeatedly. A fool. They just make terrible lifestyle decisions repeatedly, and those decisions reveal an absence of godly wisdom, and they lead to humiliating and destructive behavior. All right, you get that? A fool is someone who repeatedly makes terrible lifestyle decisions. 
that demonstrate an absence of their, rela- of their relationship with God, and it leads to humiliating and destructive behavior. You want to know what a fool is like? A fool is a person who can't stop making terrible, destructive decisions. And the Bible describes some of those decisions that we'll cover here this morning. So by the end of our time together, you'll know what a fool is, why they're such a terrible thing, why you should distance yourself from them. You'll be able to distinguish the difference between occasionally making foolish decisions versus the person who is characterly, someone who's a fool uh, in their character. You will also know how to love a fool well, and then I also want to help you see that there's incredible hope for the fool. So let's pray together, and we'll dig into this passage. Oh, Father, oh, Father, as I have prepared and read and listened and prayed, it has been very clear that to be a fool is to be human, to struggle with bad decision-making, with destructive tendencies, with, with these habits. All of us share in the character quality of being foolish. But we thank you for the way in which you correct and give grace and give hope and give mercy and give correction in all these ways how we can recover from this disease of foolishness. Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us ears to hear this morning? Would you open our minds so that we can understand the Scripture? And would you help us to self-evaluate what it means to be a fool and how we can repent and grow and learn and be delivered from that character quality. Would you let it be so? And use this 20 minutes or so for your glory and for your majesty. In Jesus' name, amen. Shake it off, London. It's not a big deal. It's usually my kid that does that. Uh, It's all right. It happens to all of us. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 18 because there is a cluster of fool passages there. There's also a cluster of fool passages in Proverbs 26. So we're just going to look at those, and I'm going to give you the eight qualities of a fool. All right? The eight qualities, you might remember the Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck if. Well, this is going to be, the, uh, you might be a fool if these uh, eight character qualities are uh, in your life. But let's start out, let's read chapter 18, verses 1 through 9. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. 18.3, when wickedness comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes disgrace. Verse 4, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. 18.5 says, it is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. Verse 6 says, a fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Verse 8, the mouth or the words of a whisperer or of a gossip are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Verse 9, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to the one who destroys. In Proverbs chapter 26, if you'll flip just a few pages over, Verse 1 and then verses 3 through 12 address the character quality of a fool. Verse 1 says, Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Verse 3 says, A whip for the horse and a bridle for the donkey and a rod for the back of fools. Verses 4 and 5 seem to completely 
go against each other, to contradict each other, but it shows that there is a need for discernment. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him yourself. Verse 5 says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So let the reader be discerning and when to answer a fool and when not to. Verse 6 says, whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Verse 7, like a lame man's legs which hang useless is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Verse 8, like one who binds the stone and the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. Verse 9, like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. 26.10 says, like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a passing fool or a drunkard. Verse 11, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. 26.12 says, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Well, just at a simple level, just at a surface scan of the idea of a fool in Proverbs from these 18 or so verses, how many of you want to be a fool, right? Nobody, right? Nobody wants to be a fool. Uh, A fool is destructive. They make terrible lifestyle decisions, yet... Yet even as we recognize something that we don't want to see, if we were to paint this caricature of a person who is a fool, even as we look at this, we would, we would also recognize that there are parts of us that we see in this caricature, that there are things that we do. Uh, oftentimes we put our foot in our mouth, or we say things that we don't mean, or we do something that we don't do, or maybe we're, we're lazy, or maybe we just don't exercise good discernment or judgment in some way. All of us have contributed at some point to being a fool or to making foolish decisions. But overall, what I want you to do is to see in this caricature, to see in this big picture of how the book of Proverbs describes the fool, is that there is hope if that's you. Right? There is hope for you. You're not stuck or trapped in this world of being a fool. There is deliverance for you. And we want to understand what is this person like? How can we be delivered from this person? Well, let's first get a good definition of fool. There's a lot of words that are used to translate this word fool. One is the Hebrew word nabal. You probably remember a woman that David married, Abigail, and she was married to a guy named Nabal. This guy was a fool, and that's what his name meant. This word describes someone who has a wicked character. They have a wicked character. You see, being a fool is not so much as being stupid, uh, although that's part of it. There's another word that describes naivete, where you're, you're just sort of impressionable, but you don't use your mind very well. You're sort of naive and believe anything. But really, the biggest idea of a fool is someone who is immoral and destructive. Someone who is immoral and destructive is a fool. And so you can see that by some of their lifestyles. So let's get into some of the ways that you know. How do I know if I'm a fool? All right, let's just take this quiz together. The first thing that will describe to you if you're a fool comes from Psalm 14.1, and it's repeated in Psalm 53.1. And that verse says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds, and there is no one who does good. So the first sign of a fool is basically an atheist. Someone who just does not believe in a God at all 
is an atheist, and the Bible describes that person as a fool. It is the worst quality that the Bible, it's the worst insult that the Bible can give is a fool, and it's first of all reserved for those who deny the very existence of a God. Now, I don't know about you, where you are in your relationship with with God. You may be here as an atheist, as someone who uh, is cringing at every song we sing and every prayer we pray. Uh, you may listen to this sermon online later and, and realize that you don't believe in the existence of a God at all. I've been there as well. For the first 17 years of my life, was raised in an environment where uh, atheism was just the uh, accepted point of view. Matter of fact, I've used this verse, Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1, many times when I share my story of how I became a believer. It started with a long period of my life with just denying the very existence of God. And if that's you here this morning, the Bible says that it is the most foolish thing in the world to deny that there is a creator, that there is a God. To be an atheist is a foolish position to hold. And let me give you a couple of reasons why. First of all, there's an acronym, C-D-A-O. C-D-A-O describes created, designed, art, and order. So anytime you look around, you see something that was created. Uh, Take a chair, for example. Uh, You see in a chair, uh, you see that uh, that it was made. It exists, right? Uh, You see that it's designed. It's perfectly designed uh, so that you can sit in it. Uh, these aren't very artistic. Some chairs are a lot more artistic. You can ask Mr. Gregoire. He makes incredible furniture. But, uh, but you can see in these chairs a basic artistic element. And then you can see that there's some order in the way that we have them set up. You see all four of those things. And not one of you in your right mind would say, isn't evolution incredible? How when I walked into this room, I saw all these chairs naturally um, came from nothing. And they just move themselves into this position, into this formation. And, and these chairs, it's incredible how over billions and billions of years, these chairs just became and found themselves in this gym. Right? No one would say that. No one at all would say that. When you see something created, you know that there's a creator. When you see any form of design, you know there had to be a designer. When you see art, it points to an artist. And when you see order, you see an orderer, you know that there is someone who placed them in that way. Well, in the same way, we see those same things all over creation. We see uh, things existing. We see art. We see beauty. We see a design to the way things function. We see order. We see all those things, and it points to a creator. It points to a designer. It points to an artist. Now, you may not agree that it's the God of the Bible, but it's difficult to hold the position that there is no God. Let me give you the second idea behind that. Let's say that you possessed 1% of all the knowledge that there is to know. 1%. Let's say that you possessed all the... You knew 1% of every single thing there is to know. You knew everything about all the planets, all the galaxies, all the stars, uh, all the elements. You knew everything about um, animal life and sea life and weather and science. And, and then you knew people. You knew their names. You knew their thoughts. You knew, all that there, you knew 1% of all there is to know. Would you agree with me that that's a lot of knowledge? Absolutely. If you knew 1%, you would be the smartest person who ever lived. 
But let's just say that as a person knowing 1% of all the knowledge there is to know, uh, that you would concede that there is 99% of things that you didn't know, that you didn't have knowledge of, that you weren't intimately aware of. Is it possible that in that 99% of information that you don't know, that there is an intelligent designer? And if you're open to the ability, if you have 1% of all the knowledge there is in the entire universe, and, it, and you're open to acknowledge that in the 99% of what I don't know, if there's, an op, if there's a possibility that there could be a God, then you'll see how ridiculous it is to hold the position of atheism. You should at least move to the position of agnosticism, which says there may, uh, there, there's a God, there's an intelligent designer, there's a higher form out there somewhere, but... That's different than saying that there is no God. The, the fool says in his heart, there is nothing. We're here by accident. There is nothing that started this. Everything came from nothing. That position describes the ultimate fool. Number one, if you don't believe in there, that there's a God, the Bible describes you as a fool. The second mark of a fool is that they are completely unteachable. They're completely unteachable. The fool already believes they have everything there is to know. They know everything. Proverbs 1.7 that John covered last week says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise instruction. A fool despises anybody who says, This is how you do it. This is not how you do it. If you uh, find yourself needing to be corrected, a fool despises correction. They are unteachable. Proverbs one twenty two says, How long will you love being simple? How long will uh, fools delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15.5 says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. How are you on the teachability scale? Do you feel like you're open to correction? When someone shows you a better way or a new way, are you open to that? Or are you so stuck in your ways that you're unteachable? I was listening to a radio program 20 years ago or so, and a person, Tom Nelson, was asked by a group of college girls, what is the one quality that we should look for in a future spouse? If you had to name one thing that we should look for, and if that person doesn't, have that quality that we should move on from, what is the one thing that you would say? And he said it's the quality of being teachable. It's the quality of being able to learn, a humility that says, I don't know everything. I don't know everything, and there is much that I have to learn. A fool is completely unteachable. The third quality of a fool is he is destructive with his words. Now, there's a dozen categories under this column. That a fool is just destructive with his words. We read one of them earlier. A gossip is a fool. Proverbs 18.8, the words of a gossip are like delicious morsels. They go down to the inner parts of a body. Proverbs 10.14 describes the mouth of a fool brings ruin. It is destructive. Proverbs 12.23, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaim their folly. A fool flaunts his folly. A fool pours out folly. Proverbs 17.28 says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. One of the quickest ways you know that you're a fool is that you speak too much 
And your words are destructive. They ruin people. They tear people down. Have you ever known a critical person? Don't point, right? Have you ever known someone who is quick to point out how wrong you are or how bad you are or how wrong people are? Critical people who use words to tear something down. Those are people that very few of us want to be around. If their lips are destructive and tearing down. Uh, I have been acquaintances with people who uh, the more you're around them, the more their words are wounding and damaging. Nothing makes me want to keep my distance more than someone who continually uses words to destroy or to tear down. There's actually a category of abuse for those who use verbally abusive language. And if you're in a relationship with someone who continuously tears you down by their words, that it's continuously negative, that they're hateful, that they don't have a kind word or an encouraging word to say, if they're constantly critical or contentious or tearing you down, that is the language of a fool. That's the language of a fool. The fool is destructive with their words. And it's a terrible thing to be around a foolish person who is terrible with their words. Proverbs 18.6 says, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. The next verse says, His mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words that you use build up or tear down. And the quickest way to identify a fool is by the words that come out of his mouth. The fourth sign of a fool is laziness. Proverbs 1.32 says, The simple are killed uh, by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. The laziness of fools destroys them. Proverbs 18.9, Whoever is lazy in his work is a brother to the one who destroys. How are you at the workplace? How are you around the house? Is laziness, does that identify you? It's a foolish thing to be lazy. It's a foolish thing. The Bible says a little sleep, a little slumber, a little rest for the eyes, and poverty will come on you like what? Like a robber. The quickest way to destroy is to be lazy, to do nothing, to be untrustworthy at work. To be a lazy person uh, is a sign of foolishness. The fifth sign, the fifth quality of uh, the fool is unrepentant. Unrepentant. Proverbs 13.19 says that a desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but turning away from evil is an abomination to fools. Someone who doesn't ever turn away from doing wrong is an abomination to fools. They are unrepentant. 26.11 says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who continuously repeats his folly. An unrepentant heart that says, I know I'm doing wrong, but I refuse to ask forgiveness. I refuse to confess as an unrepentant fool. The final quality that we'll look at is that you are destructive, careless, and reckless, and completely unrestrained. Proverbs 14 says, One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil. That's repentant. But a fool is reckless and careless. 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his emotions, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Do you want to know who a fool is? They're, they're reckless, they're careless, and they give a full emotional vent to whatever they're feeling at any one moment. 
There is no restraint in their life, whether it's anger or jealousy or pleasure or fighting or gossip or in any way they give full expression to whatever they say or feel. Well, if those qualities describe you, maybe not all of them, but maybe a few of those qualities describe you, maybe you're an atheist, maybe you are, are unrestrained in your lifestyle, you're unrepentant, you're lazy, you are, your words are destructive, you're unteachable, maybe if those six qualities describe you or describe someone you know, the greatest thing you can do is, if it's you, is to repent of that, but if it's someone that you know, is to distance yourself. To be a companion of fools is probably one of the worst things that will drag down your character uh, that there is. Um, The final verse that we'll look at this morning is the one who walks with the wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 14.7 says, Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet knowledge. So what do we do if we are a fool or if we have struggled with this? Let me just make a clear distinction between the person who is a fool and between the person who makes foolish decisions. Because we are the sum of our decisions, right? If a person repeatedly chooses to tell lies, what do you call that person? A liar, right? If a person repeatedly chooses to steal, what do you call that person? You call them a thief. What do you call a person who repeatedly chooses to covet and hoard money? You call them greedy. You repeatedly choose to lust, you're an adulterer at heart. If you repeatedly choose to get drunk, you're an alcoholic. If you repeatedly choose uh, all these negative things, you will be defined by whatever decision you continuously make. A person who repeatedly repents and trusts in Jesus is a Christ follower, is a Christian. A person who repeatedly prays is a prayerful person. A person who repeatedly chooses to saturate their mind with Scripture and make application is a wise person. We are the sum of our decisions. And you make decisions all the time. If you find yourself uh, making foolish choices, you have time to turn away from that and to change, to become teachable, to become open to correction to walk away from being a fool. You can string together 10 to 15 good decisions in a row and you'll find momentum building. Have you ever realized, like I did this past week, that all of a sudden I'm 25 pounds overweight? Has that ever happened to anybody or is that just me? I don't know how it happened. But I went to try on uh, some funeral clothes this week and I, I don't know how it happened. But all of a sudden I'm extremely fat. Right, And so for like four days, I thought, I've got four days before this funeral, and I've got to squeeze into whatever size they had at the shop in this city that we were visiting. And so I've got to make like four days of great decisions. And so every day I found a route, and I walked. I had to get to like 12,000 steps, and I waited till the heat of the day when I just put on more clothes, and I sweat, and I ate a handful of peanuts instead of, you know, what I would normally eat. Uh, And I just realized, oh my gosh, I've got five days to lose 10 pounds. And so I tried to string together as many good decisions in a row. And you know what happened on the sixth day after the funeral? Now, I didn't eat like crazy, but but I realized that you you string together 10 or 15 good decisions in a row, and there's a little bit of momentum that builds up, Right? 
But that first five decisions is really difficult, right? When you're staring down a cheeseburger and a, and a large shake from this place that we always go to in Oklahoma City called Brahms, where, I mean, it's just incredible. And when you're staring at that, and then you have a, a little bag of peanuts, and you think, I've got to fit into this suit, man. I can't, I can't eat this. So just those first few decisions are really difficult. I don't know when the last time you spent five good days in prayer and Bible reading were. I don't know when the last time you spent five good days in fasting from something that's harmful, or maybe even something neutral, but taking your attention away from God. Maybe it's a social media app, or maybe it's a TV show, or maybe it's TV in general. But you string together five or ten, fifteen good decisions in a row, and by the end of that period, you will feel better. Because feelings follow action, not the other way around. You don't feel your way into getting into shape. You don't feel your way into saying no to cheeseburgers. Amen? I mean, you just do, and the feelings come later. Right? It's the same way in these decision-making. If you find yourself always making foolish decisions, you can string together 5, 10, 15 good decisions in a row and reverse this tide of being a fool. How do you love somebody who's a fool? Maybe you've realized that, sure, I make foolish decisions, but, but overwhelmingly I wouldn't describe myself as a fool. But I sure know a fool, right? I think we all probably know someone, and Jesus said we're in danger of hell if we call someone a fool, so, so maybe we would be really careful about who we characterize as a fool. But maybe you know somebody as we've kind of taken this test, and you said, oh my gosh, I know somebody, and they're a fool. An F word, right? They may be a fool, right? How do you love that person? It's really difficult because they're hard-hearted, they're stubborn, they're stuck in their way. So what do you do? Let me give you a couple of ways that you can love a fool. Number one, the greatest thing you can do for that person is to pray for them. It's to pray for them. I have a prayer that I pray. Uh, if someone um, is going in a destructive direction, I pray that God would uh, break them and if they have to reach the end of, you know, the end of themselves, if they have to reach the bottom, if they have to hit rock bottom, I always pray that they will go hard and fast. I always pray that, that if God has to break somebody, that he just, it's just a clean, quick break, rather than a long, slow, destructive one. Maybe the prayer for the fool in your life is, God, would you break them quickly? Would you help them get to the end of themselves quickly? Would you help them get there fast? Another prayer that you can pray is, God, open their eyes and open their minds. Fascinating passage. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus has been resurrected. He's been raised to life. And His disciples are still in that period where they're struggling with doubt and confusion. And some of them have seen Jesus and some of them haven't. And so Jesus appears to them and in this time, he begins to teach them the scripture. And in Luke twenty four forty five, it says, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. I used to picture that as like a can opener on top of their head. Right? How did he open their minds so that their head was open, that they could receive knowledge and correction? This is a prayer for the fool, that they would that their minds would be open, that their eyes would be open, that they would be aware, that they would see clearly, that they would have their eyes and their 
minds opened. How do you love a fool? You pray for them. Another way is you give them space and you give them grace to make terrible decisions. How many of you parents rescue your children every time there's danger around? That sort of hovering mentality that says, I'll bubble wrap them and I'll never let them make a mistake. And, right? That kind of parenting that doesn't give space and that doesn't allow for grace for people to make mistakes prevents people, listen close, it prevents people from actually learning from their bad decisions. You see, we are, are very much cause and effect people. And we are wired, it's hardwired into our brain that if we do something and it has a terrible result and we continually do it, that at some point we realize, I don't want to do that anymore. But if you are always hovering and you're always rescuing and you're always shielding people from experiencing the natural built-in consequences of their sin, you are not helping them. You're not helping them. Sometimes the greatest thing you can do for a fool is to step back and allow them to fall on their face and experience the terrible, destructive, damaging consequences of their own behaviors. The third thing you can do if you want to love a fool, pray for them, give them space and grace to learn from their decisions. And the third thing is not a very helpful thing, but it's to give them correction. We've already found that they're hard-hearted. They're not going to listen to you. So you, you might as well just say it knowing that there's a good chance that they're never going to hear your words. Well, if you're a fool, uh, there is hope for you. There is hope for the fool. And in foolishness, we see all of ourselves at some point. The Bible in Romans chapter 3, 23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody. And so built in within all of us is the natural tendency toward foolishness, sinfulness. And we've all been there. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you find yourself a fool, or if you find yourself a sinner, as Romans 3, 23 says, Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of your sinfulness or your foolishness is death, separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved from your foolishness. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Romans 8, 1 is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. We've all sinned. God's free gift to you is Jesus' death that delivers you from that. And that if you believe in Jesus and confess with your mouth that He is Lord, you will never be condemned in Christ Jesus. That's the glory of the gospel. And if you're a fool, there is hope for you. If you're a sinner, there is hope for you. If you repent, if you believe, if you trust in Jesus that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's the greatest hope that I can offer to you, is that you can be saved from being a fool. You don't have to continually live in this way. It happened for me when I was 
17, almost 17, a week before my 17th birthday. Uh, the error of my ways, the foolishness that I had lived, led me to a, a terrible position. I was just surrounded by immoralities and destructive debris. I was like a trail of damage followed me to a point where I was just sick of my life. And I got to a point where I finally, as a former atheist, got to a place where I got on my knees in my bedroom at 1520 Pecan Street in Norman, Oklahoma. February 19th, 1991, I got on my knees and I said, if there's a God out there somewhere, I need you to help me because I can't live like this anymore. And the very next day, a stranger knocked on my door and he had a Bible in his hand and he said, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? I said, I don't know. And I want to know. And he told me for the first time in my life about who Jesus was and what he'd done for me. And there on my doorstep at 8.30 p.m. on that cold night, uh, in Norman, Oklahoma, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I confessed my sin and I put my faith in Him. And I've never made a foolish decision since. Isn't that incredible? I am just not a fool. Actually, it's not true at all. There has been extraordinary amounts of grace in my life. But I can tell you this for sure. I was a fool headed for destruction. But now I'm a fool saved by grace. And that's the greatest thing I can offer you today is that Jesus stands willing and ready to forgive you of your sins and to put you on a new path, not a destructive one. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you for your word and how insightful it is. It just shines a light on who we are. Maybe we've never seen ourselves as a fool before. Maybe we just never realized how terrible it is to be a fool in Scripture. Maybe in this message we're sort of realizing that for the first time, and, and we may be feeling embarrassed or frustrated or struggling in some way with the reality that we are indeed fools. Maybe for some of us, that's, that's what we're feeling right now. Maybe for others, we realize, I'm just not the best decision maker, and it's a mixed bag. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Maybe the prayer for that person, Lord, is that, that they would string together a handful of good decisions, that you would put them on a path away from foolishness and away from destruction and put them on a path to life again. Maybe others realize that they just need to be saved and that they are uh, struggling with the consequences of a lifetime of foolish decisions. Would you give them grace today? Would you help them uh, to realize this before it's too late? I pray, God, that whatever it is that you're speaking to us about, that we would respond to you in repentance and humility and uh, that we would not live the destructive life of a fool. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.